Hey, this is Mr. Anderson Anderson, and you are listening to Two Out of Three Falls. Yeah, 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 what up? You know, it's uh, Peter Rosenberg, Hot 97, ESPN, WWE Network, Cheap Peak Podcast. Um, let's see what else. I got mad jobs out here, but right now, talking all things wrestling with my man Randy Cruz, the Cruise Control Podcast. Sit back and stay mage. You're listening to Cruise Control with Randy Cruz. This is the voice of the New World Order. N-W-O. And Neil Perfect Secrets of WCW Nitro. New two out of three falls here on the Cruise Control Podcast. Randy Cruz. You can follow me on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz. R-E-N-D-Y. The letter J-C-R-U-Z. And I'm joined by Graham Matthews from Bleacher Report. He's on Twitter at Restaurant. No Mark Raimondi this week. Uh, I guess he's under the weather, so we wish him well. So back to the old school with me and Graham going at it. Graham, my man, how you doing? Doing great, Randy. First time in two weeks since we've last talked, but it feels like so much has gone down between Money in the Bank weekend, everything else going on in WWE and outside of WWE. Uh, yeah, Mark feeling under the weather, on assignment, what have you. He will not be joining us, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Johnny NBA. I'm sure he's sad to hear the news, but we're going to have a great show nonetheless. Yeah, again, I do apologize for not doing a show last week. A lot of things been going on, so just timing the schedule, but we are right, right back at it. So I'm going to touch on a couple things from what we would have spoke about last week. Ma Graham, you was at Money in the Bank in Chicago. You was at NXT TakeOver Chicago last week. Quickly, just kind of give me your thoughts on the overall show, the atmosphere from NXT and Money in the Bank. It was great. Um, TakeOver was really fun. It wasn't the greatest takeover I've ever been to. Same thing with Money in the Bank. It wasn't like the, the greatest paper uh, the, the greatest pay-per-view I've ever attended. But both were enjoyable events. I've never actually been to Chicago outside of the airport before, so exploring Chicago was great too. Um, but in terms of the atmosphere for both shows, it was every bit as exciting as I expected it to be because Chicago is such a great atmosphere for wrestling shows. Um, but yeah, TakeOver was a lot of fun. The main event was exceptional. Ricochet Velveteen Dream, a lot of fun. The NXT Tag Team title match was terrific, too. Money in the Bank was honestly better than I thought it would be. I think a lot of people can kind of agree to that um, just because the build was so bad. I mean, we here on the show, Randy, have been really just not even talking about WWE all too much just because the build has been so mm-hmm. abysmal to the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Just pay-per-view or programming in general on the whole in WWE has been so forgettable for so long now i would argue since the superstar shakeup about two months ago so money in the bank i thought on paper was a good show the top main events i thought were great um you know not many things that would change it wasn't like again like a must-see pay-per-view by any means but for what it was i thought it was a very enjoyable event and hopefully kind of kickstarts what should be an exciting summer season in wwe yeah definitely uh i did get a chance to see money the bank and nxt like a few days after uh, it came on live, um, I did enjoy NXT. I did, en- I did enjoy Money in the Bank for the most part. Um, but let me get right to the card because a lot of things happen. Um, NXT first. I know me and you and Mark did our picks. I think we had everything right except the Velveteen Dream match, which I thought was pretty awesome with uh, Ricochet. Um, so Ricochet won that match. Shayna Baszler retained the title. We all, we all, all had her winning. Um, undisputed Era won that match, but then uh, I think they lost the they lost the belts. Um, sometime after that, and then regained it. That could have been at the 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 UK event, right? 
Yeah, the tag titles first changed hands at the night one, or night two, rather, of the NXT UK TV tapings in England that were taped last week, aired this past Tuesday, which was great, by the way. I won't spoil anything other than that. I mean, WWE spoiled that themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But of the two shows, both were terrific. If people are down on the current WWE product, both shows, especially night two, was among the best WWE produced wrestling content you will watch all year. It was terrific. Um, Woke in the 24 special is also great. That's another WWE piece that's on the network too. That's also well worth checking out. But yeah, night two of the UK tourney is where the um, tag titles changed hands. And I think Undisputed Air went on to win them back at the subsequent TV tapings at Full Sail the following Thursday, which I think is set to air at some point in the next few weeks or so. But um, yeah, it's been an exciting few weeks or so, I would say, in NXT, uh, UK, whatever. Okay, so we also had Aleister Black. All, uh, all of us had him winning his match at, at NXT. And Ciampa, he won his match at TakeOver, where I think, aside from Velveteen Dream match, uh, for me, if I had to rank the Velveteen, the tag match, and Ciampa, I think Ciampa will go one. I I really like the, 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 the Ricochet Dream match, number two, and then I go with tag team match. Number three, but you got to tell me how how the crowd was for our Gargano and Champa, um, because that was a very grueling match. The rivalry still still ongoing. They pulled the the ring apron whatever from from the bottom, and you saw the the the, the wooden part, and they got real physical. So I know the crowd's going crazy in Chicago for that match. So, what was your favorite match for NXT, and what match you think was the loudest you heard the crowd go? The thing is with the show that there wasn't a bad match in the whole show. I would probably say Sheena and Nikki Cross was the weakest, but it was by no means bad. I thought it was a pretty good match. Um, I would say that was the weakest. And then Black and Sullivan, then the tag title match, Mm -hmm. then Dream and Ricochet, then the main event. I would agree that I thought the main event was the match of the night. My favorite match of the night was was Velveteen Dream and Ricochet. Now, I'm not going to argue that it's better, but it was my favorite match just because I'm a big Dream fan. Big Ricochet fan. The story they told there was great. Um, the main event, though, for what it was, was a lot like the main event from the last takeover when Gargano and Ciampa faced off that unsanctioned match, uh, the no disqualifications. But the best part about this match was that they told a different story this time around. The crowd was great. They kind of took the fight all around the arena, into the crowd, by the stage area, the same site of where Ciampa turned on betrayed broke the heart of gargano in the first place almost a year ago when diy first broke up so again the attention to detail there was amazing on um, the crowd was super into it and champa is one of those guys where he's doing such an amazing job as a heel right now but it's a rare case where he's actually getting booed like undisputed era is a great act or a hot act right now but people can't help but cheer him every single time they come out whereas with champa he gets booed out of the building every single time. He's one of the best heels, not only in NXT, not even only in WWE, but I would say in the entire wrestling world right now. Um, but that entire match was so excellently executed that I'm sure a third match is in the works. But they managed to not only capture the same magic from New Orleans, but even add to it as well. And the finish was fantastic with Ciampa barely emerging victorious by DDT and Gargano on the exposed uh, wood uh, canvas floor, mat, whatever. I thought that was fantastic. Protected Gargano in defeat. Sets up Ciampa to maybe vie for the NXT title in Brooklyn. There's a lot of ways they can go with it coming out of that takeover. But again, I thought the entire main event, the crowd was great for it. Buying into everything they did. Ciampa 
kissing and spitting on the wedding ring of Gargano and LeRae was tremendous as well. Yeah, Again, it. everything these guys have been doing since the start of their feud about a year ago has turned to gold. And it's probably some of the best storytelling you will ever see in wrestling at the moment. But uh, yeah, that really capped off what was a, like I said, a terrific takeover show last Saturday. So for that show, we, we all went four out of five. Now, when it came to Money in the Bank, we did not have that much luck. So I think out of what a 10 match. Well, you had Bludgeon winning. You had Bobby Lashley winning. Seth Roman and Ronda Rousey and, and, and AJ Styles. So you probably had six. I had, uh, oh God, five. And Mark did terrible. He probably had four. So we did not get money in the bank correctly as we did NXT. So when money in the bank came on, what were some moments or some matches that were surprising to you? Were you surprised that Braun Strowman won the men's? Money the Bank match. Were you surprised that uh, Alexa Bliss won the 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 female match? Um, what else happened? Uh, we all kind of felt Seth was going to win. Carmella retained her title. Um, AJ retained his title. I think we, me and Mark, both had Nakamura winning. So aside from that, w- what were some events that that shocked you at Money the Bank? Yeah, there were certainly some match outcomes that surprised me, but in a good way. There was nothing that left me angered from that pay-per-view, which you would expect to happen just because there's 10 matches. And the show in person didn't drag as much as I thought it would. I mean, for a four, it went over four hours. I was expecting it to go under four hours, but it went for like four and a half hours or five and a half hours if you include the kickoff show. So it was a long night, but they managed to maintain the interest and the kind of engagement from the crowd. With, I mean, they had two ladder matches. They had a last man standing match. So it was a pretty stacked show yeah. um, by all intents and purposes. A cash-in, which was cool. Um, I did not expect Bliss to be the one to win the ladder match. I mean, I expected maybe a cash-in on Rousey because that made the most sense. I was not expecting Bliss, but I was happy with it. And I can't believe people are – maybe not complaining is the right word, but there was a lot of – you know, um, criticism coming out of the event that, oh, Braun Strowman didn't need the briefcase. Like, why did he win? I can agree with that to an extent. I think I said here, even on the show, that Strowman did not need the Money in the Bank briefcase, but it doesn't make it a bad outcome. Right. Um, you go with whatever the right story is to tell. And Strowman, although, I mean, he's lost now, what, three times to Brock Lesnar between four ways and three ways in singles matches, he has failed to win the belt every single time. I think in this case, this would spare us from getting another Brock and Roman or a Brock and Strowman match one on one if they do go that route and they have. I would assume that Roman's going to win the belt at SummerSlam and then Strowman cashes in. Feels too predictable, but whatever ends with Strowman becoming champion, that's really all that matters because he should have been champion nine months ago, to be honest. But he's still pretty hot now. I mean, it really goes to show just how over the guy is right now. Going with one of the most over hot hands in the company as your winner of the pay-per-view. Like, what a concept. But we rarely see that in WWE where I thought it was a refreshing change of pace. So I thought that ended the evening on a high note. Um, but yeah, AJ retaining, I might have said it here on the show two weeks ago. I'd have to go back and listen to it. But I've said for a while now where I feared AJ would win. And AJ's great. Don't get me wrong. AJ's probably my favorite performer of anyone in WWE right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But Nakamura, I felt if he lost, then that's it for him as a main eventer. Now, he can always go back for the belt at some point down the road. But now the guy's lost to AJ, what, four times? He failed to win the belt four times, six times if you include the two times against Jinder late last year. So it's very obvious that the company's not ready to run with him as the guy, maybe one of the guys on SmackDown, but not the guy on the blue brand. Um, and now he, it looks like he'll, he might be feeding with Jeff Hardy going forward 
over the United States Championship. But um, yeah, no, there were certainly a bunch of match outcomes that surprised me, but for the better, there weren't any that was like, oh my God, that really pissed me off, or I walked out of the show disappointed, which honestly has been the case for a lot of the pay-per-views I've been to in recent years, from like SummerSlam 2016 to Hell in a Cell that same year and a few other shows. This one was a refreshing change of pace where they actually ended the evening on a high note and sent the crowd home happy. So I was very uh, pleased with that outcome. Were you surprised that, that Alexa cashed in on the same night? Yeah, like I said, I'm slightly surprised just because, um, I mean, I did figure Natalia would win and then do the same thing. Cause yeah. The thing with Nia, I mean, we even said here in the show, we knew it was not going to have a clean finish. You're not going to have Rousey lose her first singles match in WWE, and you're not going to have Nia just get beat one, two, three, right. and have Rousey become champion. I mean, I figured there was a small chance of that um, just because she is being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame coming up in, in a few weeks, and maybe WWE wants the Raw Women's Championship on her. She's not going to freaking carry the title to the Hall of Fame, but they can always call her the WWE Women's Champion if they wanted to on that show, but they didn't do that. They took the smart route. They got Bliss back in there. Now, I know there's some complaints and criticism that Bliss is already back in the title picture after dropping the belt at WrestleMania. But to be quite honest, they really have sh- they should not have taken the title offer to begin with. Bliss and Rousey is the real money feud to me. Maybe not as a match, but just seeing Rousey attempting to get her hands on Alexa Bliss. Just that, that dynamic there with Bliss being the cowardly heel and, and Ra- Ronda Rousey being the badass – I think it works out perfectly. So we'll see how quickly the match goes by at SummerSlam or whatever it takes place. Um, but I thought the fact they had it happen the same night as, you know, the same night that she won the briefcase to begin with, I thought was cool. Made for a great reaction. No other titles changed hands on the show from what I can recall. So it was a nice newsworthy moment. It kind of sets forward Rousey and Bliss for when Rousey gets back from her quote-unquote suspension, which I thought was great too. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of writes her off TV for the foreseeable future. And the way that whole angle was... Um, executed last week on Raw with her yeah. attacking Kurt Angle and Nia Jax, I thought was one of the best opening Raw segments we've seen in some time. And you know what? It was more like a an about time kind of thing because you know I'm always on the show like Rousey should be more aggressive and doing this and doing that, not no bullshit uh, promos and not talking in the ring. And now she got out there. Got physical with Alexa. Got physical with, with with Kurt Angle, and I was like, "Man, where was where where has that been this whole time?" And now that you know she's quote unquote suspended, even though she's fighting, you know, in, in house shows overseas or whatever. So my thing is, I think that was that that was the best segment aside from her and Stephanie after WrestleMania. Uh, but I, I, if they keep that up, I like the direction that they're going in. When you said her and Alexa is the money match, do you mean only because it's on Raw, or do you feel like her versus Alexa is more more money match worthy than like Ronda, Oscar, or Ronda Charlotte? No, yeah, I think Rousey and Charlotte slash Oscar is still a bigger money match on paper because they are mm-hmm. bigger names in my mind than Alexa Bliss. But Alexa Bliss. I mean, in the ring is not that good. I mean, I understand the criticism with people calling, oh, you know, Bliss can't bump. She's not like a, she wasn't, you know, she didn't cut her teeth on the indies. You know, she didn't, you know, work her way up mm. the ring of honor. Like, who gives a shit? But she's a great performer. I know she's been kind of overexposed over the past two years. She has really been to the forefront of the Raw and SmackDown women's divisions for the past two years now, ever really since she got called up back in the summer of 2016. Um, but she's had some good matches and it was time to kind of take a break from her. 
as the center star of the Raw women's division after she's kind of been the focal point for the past year now since she arrived on the show. But at the same time, Bliss and, Rally, uh, Bliss and Rousey excuse me, is the right story to tell at the moment. Um, again, maybe not in the ring, but I think promo-wise. Because I said this going into Money in the Bank. The, the bill to Jackson Rousey was fucking, maybe not terrible, but it really was not that good. Because Jax feels... So ingenuous, so disingenuous whenever she talks. Mm-hmm. Rousey is not the best talker as it is anyway. Right. And like you said, we were missing that side of Rousey that made her such a badass in the UFC when she first showed up in WWE. We needed that coming out of Money in the Bank. And we got that last week. It was very Attitude Era-esque, very Stone Cold Steve Austin-esque. Yeah. And no one will ever be the next Stone Cold, but we need something in that vein. And I said the same thing similar to... You know, I what, what I talked about Braun Strowman earlier this year. We need more of those unpredictable moments where the baby faces just don't give a shit about the repercussions and are just doing anything to wreak havoc on Raw. And we finally got that with Ronda Rousey. So again, I'm not sure if Rousey and Jax or Rousey and Bliss, excuse me, will be a great match. But you know what? Then again, Jackson Rousey went in there and had a much, much better match than I was anticipating. I know we talked about it through text coming out of the pay-per-view last week, um, mm-hmm. you, Mark, and I, but... I think we all agreed that it was a much better match, and especially Rousey's performance exceeded expectations. So we'll see how Bliss and Rousey do. I don't think Rousey will win the championship as soon as SummerSlam, maybe another non-finish or a fuck finish, whatever. Um, But I do think it's the right feud to go with right now because Bliss has become a big star in such a short span of time, and Ronda Rousey's a household name. So, again, I think it's the right feud to run with heading into SummerSlam for that Raw Women's Championship. Well, as we, uh, you know, as I try to fast forward into what's going on this week, um, after Money in the Bank and NXT, we had the following: Big Cass gets fired. We have Dolph Ziggler become the new Intercontinental Champion. Rusev becomes the number one contender for the WWE title. Uh, as we said, Rousey is is quote unquote suspended for thirty days. Um, I think I'm pretty much <laughs> kind of caught up here. I mean, where do you want to start? Um, Cass getting fired. Dolph is a, a six-time IC champ. And Rusev now is the number one contender for AJ Styles Championship. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Again, maybe not a lot with each one, but it is worth kind of uh, you know hitting upon each topic. But it's funny. I think more happened in the last two weeks since we last talked than in the last two months that we've been talking here on the show, at least in WWE. Because really, we would... You know, you would text us every single week about the show, and none of us would really have anything positive to say about WWE TV. Because <laughs> yeah, really, right. nothing has happened for, for right. a while now since WrestleMania, since the Superstar Jacob. And I'm not saying, you know, Raw is must-see nowadays, but it's like it's at least more is happening from week to week with the surprise title change. Even though I don't really care about Dolph Ziggler anymore, you know, it, it's something it's something different. Mm-hmm. And it kind of got people talking. The fact we're even bringing it up here on the show is a is, is, is a step in the right direction for WWE, but... Um, but yeah, we might as well start with Dolph just because it was one of the first things that happened among the things that you brought up um, last Monday night at the start of the show, right after the Rousey segment. So kind of a hot start to last week's Raw coming out of Money in the Bank. It was a great match, too. This week, the, the match they had on this week's Raw was also tremendous, if not even better than the match they had initially on last week's show. They worked very well together. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. I don't really care about the Dolph Ziggler character anymore. I don't really... I can't invest in him anymore. But as a worker, the guy's second to none. That that goes without saying. Um, but the title change does kind of switch up. I would assume their plans for Rollins. He could be moved into the title picture, the main world world title picture, as soon as 
SummerSlam, maybe. I would assume they're going with Ziggler and Macken or Ziggler and Rollins in a rematch for Extreme Rules based off the finish to this week's Raw main event. Um, but yeah, we'll see. It's a real interesting approach to take right now because again, Ziggler and McIntyre seem to be primed for a Raw tag team title match eventually, and they still could be at some point. Um, but Ziggler on his own doesn't do much for me. Him and McIntyre is an interesting pairing, as we've been talking about for a while now. So maybe that's the ultimate destination here is a Dolphin Drew title match uh, with maybe Drew breaking off on his own and maybe becoming a babyface again, whatever the case may be. Um, but I am interested to see where they go with that. And if it leads to maybe, after what we saw in this week's Raw, a Roman Drew McIntyre match after Roman Reigns came to the aid of Rollins on Raw, mm-hmm. um, that would be a much. And I think I talked about this before Money in the Bank. I think McIntyre much be it would be a much better fit for a feud, in a feud with Roman Reigns. Just you can go off the whole chosen one thing. I think the matches would be much better. People actually care about Drew McIntyre as opposed to Jinder Mahal. And Drew Jinder Mahal since losing of Money in the Bank, what has he done? Beat Chad Gable? Like who cares? So I think that the <laughs> fact that the feud has since wrapped up really goes to show how. You know, meaningless it was, whereas a feud with Drew really could, even if in defeat, Drew could really be kind of um, launched in a superstardom on Raw as a single star. Well, then, you know, when, when Dolph became Intercontinental Champion last week, were you surprised that the title changed hands the night at the Money in the Bank? I think Seth fought Elias, but um, did you, at that point, did you feel like, all right, now we're going to get Seth into the world title picture, but then he has the rematch this past Monday, and now there's Drew McIntyre involved, there's Roman Reigns involved. So right now, he's kind of still in the icy title picture because, you know, every now and then I see, you know, Twitter, and they, from what I see, they, you know, they want to have Seth be the, um, the opponent for Brock uh, by SummerSlam for the Universal title, but we don't know if it's going to be him, if they're going to throw a Roman in there, if Braun Strowman is going to get involved with the briefcase. So right now, Brock does not have a clear-cut opponent, but Seth is no longer Intercontinental Champion. That could free him up. But was Dolph beating him last week shocking to you? And now where do you see Seth Rollins going going forward? Yeah, I was shocked uh, when you texted me that Dolph won the belt because I had not yet watched Raw at that point. Uh, so that's how I, that's how I found out that Dolph became champion. Spoiler. But I was surprised. I mean, spoiler. actually, you know, you didn't you didn't actually outright say that Dolph won the belt. You just say that you thought Rollins. You figured that Rollins would drop the belt, you know, at some point sooner rather than later, and you were right. Yeah. I just didn't know who it was until I watched Raw and I heard Ziggler's music, and I was like out loud, like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Like, I don't <laughs> care about Dolph Ziggler. Is this like a rib on me or something?" But you know, to his credit, I'm hoping, and this may be wrong of me to do, but I actually have faith that this is leading somewhere, either with Rollins or with Ziggler and McIntyre. I'm not sure. Like, the fact they wanted to get the belt off Rollins as soon as possible is fine if they have plans for him beyond the IC title picture. And the only way to go from here is to go to the universal title picture. I don't want to see him feuding with Jinder over nothing. Like, who cares? Like, if he's not the IC champion, he needs to be facing Brock at the next pay-per-view, at the SummerSlam pay-per-view, I should say. I don't think he will. I still think the plan is to do Reigns and Brock again for God knows what reason, but um, we'll we'll see because I know also Braun is waiting in the wings to cash in his briefcase at some point in the not-so-distant future. Um, But yeah, I mean, there are a couple different directions they can go with Rollins. I know it's not officially confirmed that it will be Rollins and Lesnar at SummerSlam. That's really the deciding factor for me because – Right now, I'm pretty sure 95% sure I'm going to take over. SummerSlam is up in the air. But 
if they do do Rollins and Lesnar, I will go. If it's Reigns and, and Brock again, I could not give two shits. So we'll see. But yeah, I was surprised, especially when you have other options. Like why Dolph when you have Elias on the roster? Elias went for the belt the night before and had the best singles match of his WWE career, WWE or NXT or whatever, the best match of his to date. And he lost, and then they Rollins dropped the belt the very next night. So why not Elias, or why not Drew McIntyre, or why not Chad Gable? Like, there's a million other people I would have put the belt on before Dolph Ziggler. So I'm hoping there's some sort of endgame here that we're not aware of or I'm not thinking of, because otherwise it was a very weird decision to have Dolph be the one to take that title off the uber-hot Seth Rollins right now. But the, the, the show before SummerSlam, we have Extreme Rules. So now... There was supposed to be a match where a, a multi-man match, a winner against Brock Lesnar at, at a future date, where I'm assuming SummerSlam, but now there is no match. The Paul Heyman's talking about going on Facebook of what, you know, kayfabe and we don't, something, whatever shit he said that Kurt Angle said on Monday. Right now, there's no match. You got Roman and Bobby Lashley beefing. Um, it was going to be them two and probably some other guys in there. So now... We don't know what's going to happen at Extreme Rules to determine who's going to fight Brock at SummerSlam. Right now, there's only five matches at Extreme Rules. Alexa Bliss, Nia Jax, AJ Rusev, uh, Matt Hardy, and Bray Wyatt against the B-Team. I like I like what they've been doing with the B-Team recently. Um, Carmella, Asuka, and the Bludgeon Brothers against Team Hell No. So we're kind of like skipping over, but Team Hell No, out of nowhere, uh, reunited. I walk in the door and I see Kane in the middle of the ring um, and he just puts his arms out like for a hug and Daniel Bryan hugs him and everybody's rejoicing that Team Hell No has come back. So when you're watching SmackDown, um, what's going through your mind? At one, you saw Kane on your TV screen <laughs> still in 2018, but then now it's mm-hmm. like, hmm, if he's going to be with Daniel Bryan, I might like this. So talk about this whole Team Hell No re- you know, reunited part. Yeah, no, it's funny you bring that up because my initial reaction when Kane came out, I'm like, come on. Like, really? Like, are we living in 1980 or 1998 or is it 2018? I, I couldn't I couldn't tell at that moment. But um, it did lead to the reunion of Team Hell No, something I did not know I wanted until Tuesday, which was cool. <laughs> I mean, it led to a great reaction. I mean, let's face it. No matter yeah. how overexposed or how, I mean, he's never really on TV anymore, but no matter how tiresome it is to see Kane even at this point in his career that's still got a pretty big reaction people still remember team hell no and it was five years ago and people don't remember things that happened two weeks ago let alone five years ago so it was cool got as big of a reaction as it did when they hugged and everything else um I had mixed feelings on it because it was a great moment I think a lot of people were fans of team hell no myself included so it's cool to see them get one final run I'm not really sure why I I don't think a lot of people were clamoring for it but Again, which is why I said I don't know. I, I It wasn't really something I knew I wanted until I saw it happen on Tuesday. And we'll see where it goes. Um, he, you know, the backstage comedy segments could be gold. The matches could be good. They've already slated or confirmed to be facing the Bludgeon Brothers for the SmackDown Tag Team titles at Extreme Rules. The same pay-per-view where they dropped the Raw Tag Team titles five years ago. So it's fitting uh, next month. Um, so it could be good. I mean, again, with Brian, it's a weird thing. Because, again, I felt like the big cast feud, which we'll, you know, we'll talk about big cast momentarily, but um, I felt like that was kind of a waste of time. It did give Brian a bit more momentum coming back to the ring, out, coming out of WrestleMania. But then again, it's fucking big cast. The matches weren't that great. So he could have been slated with Samoa Joe or The Miz or this guy or that guy. And he's put with 
you know, uh, with, with big casts of all people. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, okay, they're finally going to put him in a prominent program coming out of that, coming out of Money in the Bank, going into SummerSlam, and then he's teaming with Kane. So again, <laughs> it seems like a big deal. It was the main, it did close out SmackDown, so yeah. it's not like it's an undercard thing, but it is a weird thing when you have one of the most over guys in the company competing for the tag team titles. Now, if the story's right, then that's fine. With Kane, I just fear that they're going to either lose or win and break up shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And then we're in for another six-month-long Brian and Kane feud, which got old in 2012, let alone in 2018. So I was hoping that Samoa Joe would step up to the plate and it would be a Brian joe Bludgeon Brothers match. And then Joe like turns on Brian and that predictably leads, in a good way, to Brian and Joe at SummerSlam. We didn't get that. We got Kane. I hope Joe has some sort of backup plan for Extreme Rules and he's not just forgotten about because the guy deserves better. Um, but we'll see. You know, I, I'm not exactly sure something may have changed since the last time that I read up on it. But as of right now, I do not think Brian has re-signed with WWE on um, past September. So they should be doing everything in their power to try to keep the guy, not be putting him in tag team title feuds or facing guys with no potential like Big Cass. So we'll see where they go. It seems like he enjoys his time with Kane and it won't be seen it won't seem like a you know, like a retread of something they used to do because at least he enjoys doing it, if that makes sense. And if it, you know, breathes new life into that stagnant tag team division on SmackDown, then so be it. So right now, again, mixed feelings, but more good than bad, I would say. And like you said, man, it definitely felt like 1998 seeing Kane in the middle of the ring in, in the main event of a SmackDown show. So it was like, hey, what the hell's going on? Um, but with with the cast being fired and Danny Bryan is like, all right, now now what do I do? And now he's in a program with uh, the Bludgeon Brothers and tag team competition. Does that kind of make you think like they just don't primarily know what to do with Daniel Bryan at this particular time? Definitely. Definitely. I get the feeling where he's not like a John Cena or like the I mean, that's pretty obvious. But like the rumors back in the day were like they only had set plans for John Cena and no one else. Now the new John Cena is like Roman Reigns where they have the set plans for him and no one really else. And they kind of make it up as they go along with Brian. I mean, again, you have a fucking guy in Andrade Cien Alamos. He's waiting right there. And the Sin Cara feud hardly counts because Andrade, in the two months since he debuted on SmackDown, has wrestled maybe two matches, two matches. And he's on the show cutting promos with Zelina Vega. So it's better than nothing. But it's like you have this guy ready to go. And, you know, Brian Andrade can go in there and kill it. So why are you having Brian teaming up with a guy that hasn't wrestled in months, really serves no worth to the roster, serves no purpose in wrestling in 2018, chasing the tag team titles? It just seems short-sighted to me. So I don't know. When you have, I mean, if there was no one else available and there was really nothing else for Brian to do, mm-hmm. I get it. And if you wanted to save the Miz feud for SummerSlam or WrestleMania, that's fine too because that's what I'm hoping for. But you still have Joe. You still have Nakamura. You still have... Andrade Sinalamas and a bunch of other people. Why are we getting Brian in the tag team title picture? Yeah, so I would definitely agree that it does feel like they don't have any long-term plans for Brian, and they're really just kind of making it up as they go along. But I hope that's not what leads to his departure from WWE. Thinking, you know, they don't have no, they don't have any plans for me. Uh, you know, I just came back to the ring, came back to wrestling mm-hmm. a few months ago. One of the hottest guys in the company, and they have me working with Kane for the tag team titles, like. He really should be a higher priority than that. But again, this might be merely a minor bump in the road 
en route to hopefully becoming WWE champion again. So we'll see where it leads. But for right now, I'm not too optimistic to know exactly what to do with Daniel Bryan um, in the immediate future. So you would say that, you know, the marks of the world are not happy that Kane is <laughs> Kane is back and tagging with <laughs> Daniel Bryan, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, the, the funny thing is that, and I would throw myself in that category, where I was surprised, honestly, it pissed me off more than anything that Kane was even on SmackDown. Because I'm of the belief that we should have a true brand split, not have people go back and forth at mm. their will. And to WWE's credit, they've done a very good job of protecting the brand split and not muddying the waters all too much. But at the same time, Kane was drafted to SmackDown two years ago, okay? He shows up on Raw for that Braun Strowman feud late last year. Out of nowhere, no explanation as to why Kane jumped from SmackDown to Raw, because he was on SmackDown the last time we saw him before he resurfaced on Raw. Now, Kane goes months without appearing on WWE TV. I think he last appeared maybe at the WrestleMania 34 Memorial Battle Royal on the pre-show. Mm. And then he just shows up on SmackDown. So, again, maybe they'll explain this all the way next week. I doubt it. Maybe they made a trade between Raw and SmackDown. But just having him show up on any brand that he pleases is just lazy writing just because that's what they needed to do. So they just expect people to either forget about it or not pay attention to it. Um, but again, I, I was expecting more of a negative response on Twitter when I saw Team Hell No return and have Kane come to Daniel Bryan's aid. But honestly, I think a lot more people were excited that we just have Team Hell No back in general because Team Hell No is very popular from 2012 to 2013. Um, so I think more people are just kind of happy about reliving that nostalgia um, then about Daniel Bryan being misused or Kane being back on TV in 2018. Well, Grant, we, we, we've mentioned Big Cass a couple times. Uh, no more Cass, no more Enzo, no more Enzo and Cass. Uh, what, a year, year and a half, maybe two years since their debut on the main roster and, you know, for whatever reasons may have it, but, but both are no longer in the company. Uh, both had high hopes coming into the main roster and NXT, but just are you more sad, disappointed that not one, but neither one of them is still with the company right now? Yeah, it's crazy. I put this out on Twitter last week, but June 19th, 2016, uh, they vied for the tag team titles on the main roster for the first time at Money in the Bank, and they were over like crazy. It was a four-way with the New Day, the club, and I think the Villains. One of the most overacts in the entire show. They lost the match, didn't win the tag team titles, but they were still over like crazy. Very same day, exactly one year later, they break up on Raw prematurely. And I don't know if we talked about it here on the show at the time, but I thought that was a stupid-ass move because I knew both guys weren't ready to break off on their own, and they were just much better together than by themselves. And then exactly a year removed from that, on June 19, 2018, was when Big Cass was released, mere months removed from Enzo uh, Amore's uh, release from WWE at the onset of 2018. So um, I, I can't say I'm surprised that he was fired. I know there's been reports for a while now that he had heat with the company. But bottom line, and I said this a few weeks ago, and maybe even last week here on the show or two weeks ago, whatever, that the guy's just not that good. He's really not. And he has potential, but they kind of, I don't know, they, between the injuries the Mike skills not really being where they should be. He's never really been the best talker. Enzo is really the one who excelled in that department. And in the ring, he's okay. I thought he had the best match of his career at Money in the Bank against Daniel Bryan. But beyond that, the guy is really just average at best. And they just cut him because the, uh, the, the issues that he was causing backstage were just too much to ignore by that point. 
So it sucks that they're both gone, but it really goes back to show that they should not have been broken up in the first place. I mean, they still might have been a nuisance backstage. That might not have changed. But even before they became you know, a problem behind the scenes reportedly, I mean, those guys weren't really doing anything two years ago. They never won the tag team titles, neither in NXT or in the main roster. Uh, they had that terrible, terrible, terrible Rusev feud that I remember ranting about here on the show in late 2016. They had a feud with... I don't know, the club maybe one point that went nowhere. They went for the tag titles of WrestleMania. That also went nowhere. So, again, they really didn't know what to do with Enzo and Cass from the get-go. And it's a shame because the guys were so over and could have been a new age, new age outlaws. Um, but, no, WWE fucked it up, and then they caused their own demise by getting into problems backstage and leading to their own releases. So it's a shame, but I figured it was only a matter of time to see Big Cass cut for the company. Yeah, I think it's uh, very sad disappointing unfortunate that you know a lot of fans they, they love Enzo and Cass and they you know were chanting their names every single time and uh again like you said not very good in the ring more character wise which is which is something I, I really don't mind um as long as they have a mix of both but uh it's funny how two years go by and neither one of them is back with the company or, or still in the company um, speaking of that, I, I've totally forgot James Ellsworth is back in the company. He came back on Money in the Bank. Uh, I just reminded myself of that um, in the fucking Oscar outfit. Um, how shocked were you that Ellsworth is now back with the company? I was pretty not surprised. I was maybe surprised of the reaction. Mm. Uh, Chicago popped big. That was one of the bigger reactions of the night at yeah. Money in the Bank. And then it was reported for a few weeks that James Ellsworth might be on his way back. It was more a matter of how he would be brought back because lest we forget the last time that we saw him, Carmella laid him out on TV. And then he was fired in reality like a week later. But no, yep, he was brought back along, you know, alongside Carmella. They never really explained why on SmackDown. He just said something along the lines of like, absence makes the Harker a fonder or something like that. But they never really said why he's back or why they got together, got back together, despite the fact they teased tension like a million times last year. So I don't know. It was weird. Um, I mean, James Ellsworth, James Ellsworth is a good addition to her act. I just don't understand why you would fire the guy in the first place. Like, I thought they were a good pairing about a year ago. And the whole reason why he was with her to begin with on TV was to help her win the Money in the Bank briefcase. And then as soon as she cashed in successfully... She could have kept it. She could have kicked him to the curb at that point because he serves no purpose. In all honesty, on the roster, mm-hmm. um, James Ellsworth, that is, other than being a lackey, the guy's not a good worker. He was always a joke. We talked about it two years ago here in the show when he was facing AJ Styles every single week and he was beating him on occasion, which was beyond unbelievable and just so stupid. Um, but you know, he find he found a nice role for himself as the lackey for Carmella. And then once you cashed in successfully, you could have fired him. But they didn't do that. They didn't wait it out. They cut him anyway because I think his contract was up. Mm-hmm. And then they bring him back for really no apparent reason. It's like Carmella was doing fine before. I don't think that well, this will make as big of a difference because still in the ring, Ellsworth or no Ellsworth, she's still, you know, she the jury is still out on her in-ring work because the match with Charlotte, a backlash, sucked. The match with Asuka and Money in the Bank was a bit better. But still the weakest match on the entire show, or one of the weakest matches mm. on a 10-match card. So we'll see where it goes. I just don't really know what you can do with him this time around that you did not do last time. Like right. we're getting Asuka and James Ellsworth next week. Didn't we already get Becky Lynch and James Ellsworth like 
six months ago, like before he was fired. So that's my only thing with this. I don't really see why it's necessary. Nothing against the guy. He seems like one of the nicest people in the world. Um, But it wasn't like, oh, my God, what a blockbuster signing when there's so many other people out there who could be brought back before James Ellsworth, in my opinion. I do want to circle back to the whole Brock Lesnar thing now with, you know, again, right now there's no match at Extreme Rules to determine who's going to fight Brock at SummerSlam. Uh, they're kind of teasing this whole Bobby Lashley, Roman Reigns feud going back and forth. But right now we're like in a standstill of what's going to happen with, happen with Brock, the universal title. Um, is it is it going to be Roman? Is it going to be Bobby Lashley? Is it going to be Seth Rollins? Is, is it going to be Braun Strowman? Right now, what is your best bet on one? Do we get some kind of match at Extreme Rules to determine that new number one contender? Or and and two, who do you think ends up being the guy? No point intended. Being the guy that's going to fight Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam for the Universal Title. The fact they called off the Extreme Rules multi-man main event really means nothing. I know they're playing into the storyline that Brock will only come back if the money is right. <laughs> I expect yeah. that to change. I still expect the match to take place and for Brock to wrestle at SummerSlam. I mean, how foolish can we be to expect that Brock would not – to think that Brock would not be wrestling True. at one of their biggest pay-per-views of the year? I mean, for God's sakes, the guy's been in the main event of SummerSlam for the last like six years now. He's like – Mr. SummerSlam. Um, so I'd be shocked if he wasn't there. He will be there, so people don't have to worry. It's more a matter of who he faces. Like I said earlier, I think it's pretty predictable that Roman Reigns will be the one to occupy that spot once again and be the one to beat the Beast, and then Braun cashes in. As long as it ends with Braun being the champion and not Roman, then I'm content. Because otherwise, then what the hell is the point? Um, I can't say this is doing much for me right now because... Raw has been better recently than it was before Money in the Bank, but um, just the whole Brock Lesnar situation got old months ago. The whole, oh, the fact he's the longest reigning world champion of any kind in the last 25 years, like, does it really mean anything if he's never on TV? Um, We haven't seen him since late April in almost exactly two months. I think two months from today, actually, the greatest Royal Rumble. So again, uh, I really do not care too much for the story. I just expect it for you know to lead to the Multiman match being brought back on. How? I don't know, but the match will happen in some form or fashion. And then for Brock to drop the title at SummerSlam, because why wouldn't you have it? Why wouldn't you have it have him drop it at SummerSlam? I know we said the same thing at WrestleMania, mm-hmm. but if he retains again at SummerSlam, it's I don't know what else to say. I really don't because you can't wait it out any longer and getting that belt off Brock because right. it's I can't even say it's getting to the point of being ridiculous because it got ridiculous like six months ago. Um, but it, it's time to move on and give that belt to someone else. Even if it's Roman Reigns, at least the guy's on TV every at least the guy's on TV every week. So that's a step in the right direction. So if you were fantasy booking this, would you have Roman win against Brock at SummerSlam, then have Braun cash in, or would you have it the way they did it at WrestleMania 31, where it's Brock, it's Roman, but then Braun cashes in midway. And then he pins either one of them, and then wins the title. So would you would you rather have him cash in after or during the match? Mm, during the match seems more seems better because I feel like after the match it would become way just way too predictable. Right, right. Um, I mean, I guess the story here is that Roman 
in storyline needs to be Brock because he has yet to be Brock one-on-one. He didn't at WrestleMania 31. He didn't at WrestleMania 34. He couldn't at the greatest Royal Rumble event. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that should be the end game. But at the same time, doesn't it make just as much sense to have Braun be the one or, you know, Braun be the one to beat the, you know, to beat the beast just because he lost at SummerSlam last year. Braun, that is, to Brock Lesnar. He lost to No Mercy. And he lost at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. So if anyone's going to beat Brock Lesnar, it might as well be Braun Strowman because he has every much of a claim to be the one to finally hand Lesnar his first or one of his first official defeats in a few years, um, just as much as Roman Reigns does. So I would have it be Braun. You can do it afterwards and have Braun cash in on Roman. But honestly, I think with Braun, it seems like he's the type of guy anyway that would announce it ahead of time that he'd be cashing in the contract. Mm. So I wouldn't even have him do it during the match. I would just have him announce ahead of time and have it be Braun, Roman, and Brock at the pay-per-view. Because another Roman-Brock match one-on-one does nothing for me. Um, but a three-way could be interesting. And if it leaves with – and it leads to Brock getting beat by Braun, I think it would be great. And it's not one of those things where you need to protect Brock because I know Brock will be back at some point. But it seems like he will be done until at least WrestleMania after SummerSlam. So – why not have him do the honors on the way out to a guy who could use it in Braun Strowman? So that's what I would do. I would have him announce it ahead of time. But if not, I would have him do it during the match. Have it be shades of WrestleMania 31 and instead have Brock be the one to take the pinfall loss because I think it's the story to tell with Braun being the one to finally hand Brock Lesnar a defeat. But then, you know, how mad would you be if if Roman wins at SummerSlam and then they get the belt off of Brock, but then there's no cash in? How mad would you be? I know I wouldn't be the only one to be outraged. I mean, again, we are in Brooklyn. So, yeah. you know, it, the reaction would be uh, would certainly not be pretty. I'd be pretty upset. I know Braun cashing in is really only inevitable. I'm not that blind to see that, you know, if it doesn't happen at SummerSlam, it's never going to happen. Like, it's going to happen at some point, No, you know, of course, mm. no doubt. But, um... I think SummerSlam just makes sense because really Roman – okay, let's say you put the belt on Roman at SummerSlam. Who else do you have him feud with that he hasn't already beaten? Like he's already faced and feuded with Kevin Owens a million times. Um, just Raw has no heels right now. I mean they have Baron Corbin. They're attempting to build him back up, but that's going to take a long time to really take him seriously as a legitimate threat again. They already did Roman and Jinder. They don't really have many heels on Raw. I think Braun is just makes way more sense. He's much more over, and he's a much more interesting candidate to kind of carry Raw on his shoulders as the universal champion. So um, I think people would be pretty pissed if Roman won the belt at SummerSlam and then nothing happened. Okay, so again, fantasy book it. If Braun wins the belt, who won, who won Raw? You know, again, kayfabe, whatever. Who won Raw do you really expect it to be Braun? If it ain't, if it ain't Roman... Bobby Lashley, do we really see Finn Balor beating Braun Strowman? Is it going to be Seth Rollins? Does Brock get a rematch? Who, uh, who else am I forgetting? That if once Braun has the belt, or Kevin Owens, like once Braun has the belt, then it's like, all right, who the fuck is beating him? That's the thing with Braun Strowman. They've kind of built him up to a point where no one in the Raw roster can legitimately beat him, can believably beat him. Um, Roman has before, but I think it might be too soon to go back to that feud. Um, you know, Balor needs to be built back up. Braun, uh, Baron Corbin is just not much of a threat at all. Didn't he get beat by like No Way Jose a few months ago? Like who cares about Baron Corbin? So that's a hard no on that one. Um, 
Again, KO, but I feel like we've seen every combination of Strowman KO since mm. Owens came to Raw. And then Zayn just got hurt, so that's not a you know that's not a uh, possibility either. I mean, Lashley if they turned him heel, maybe Bobby Roode if they if they turned him heel. Balor proved to his credit that he could beat Braun. He came close on a match and on a in a match during Raw on Raw a few weeks ago, but then Owens interfered. So they can always go back to that, but they have they would have to build Balor back up. But they have him losing to Baron Corbin every week. No one's going to take him seriously. So I mean, they have some options. It's really not a matter of booking. Braun to be weaker, but booking the other baby faces slash heels on the show to be stronger because they really do have a uh, they have a few baby faces that are weakened right now by bad booking and heels that are just non-existent beyond Kevin Owens. They have Jinder, no one cares about him. Sammy's Sammy Zayn got hurt. Uh, I don't even really know who else there is. There's Elias, but he's not going for the belt anytime soon. So there's Dolph Ziggler. Drew McIntyre can fill in a spot. Drew and Brock or Drew and Braun can be great mm. if built up the right way. So they have a few people. It's just the process of building them up over time to be viewed as legitimate threats to that top title on Raw. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see which way they go. Um, I know you, you just mentioned Sami Zayn. He's out for quite a while. I think two torn rotated cuffs. Yeah. Um, so whatever plans they whatever plans they had for him, and that and that great feud he was having with Lashley, um, you know that came to 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 a screeching halt. But he's out. The Ambrose is still out. I'm pretty sure somebody else is still out. But um, again, if Braun's a champion, is I think Roman. I think Brock could be uh, Brock Roman and Bobby Lashley. I don't see Bobby Roode and Genders and. Maybe Seth Rollins, if they build him up to be that that guy that could take down Braun Strowman. Um, but should be very interesting to see w- which way they go. Um, anything else from Raw SmackDown that I missed, or a- uh, NXT, or the UK stuff, or whatever? Uh, not really. Like you mentioned earlier, the Rusev is the new number one contender to the yeah. WWE title at Extreme Rules, which is cool by winning a great gauntlet on last Tuesday's show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fresh face in the title scene. I'm happy about that. Rusev is not winning that belt, obviously. He's merely a filler feed for AJ at a SummerSlam, and that's fine. Um, but it is a cool match to have for the title at the pay-per-view. It won't main event, obviously. I mean, it should main event. I mean, the WWE title has really been like a, a glorified mid-card belt. For the better part of the last six or seven months, because it hasn't main evented many pay-per-views in the last year. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think with um, SmackDown, it's been doing better. And beyond that, there really isn't. I think we talked about all the main highlights from Raw and SmackDown from over the last two weeks. You know what What they need to stop doing is these multi-man, gauntlet, fatal five-way to determine the new contender like yep. again, again, not to harp on back in the day stuff, but back in the day, you know, they would have one feud, a uh, feud. It, it'll end at SummerSlam, for example, and somebody would be come up the next night on Raw and start a feud from there, a run in, attack, whatever the case may be, and you build from there. Not no, hey, let's let's have a multi man match, and the winner you get the the championship match at the at the Rumble or Mania or SummerSlam. And that happens more frequent than 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 what I want to see him for both Raw and SmackDown. So, prime example, Rusev, 
wins a match, a, a gauntlet match last week, and he's the the new contender. That's great. Um, and then when when that match happens against AJ, then we got to find out somebody new because you know AJ more than likely would not lose to Rusev at Extreme Rules. You never know. But let's say AJ walks into SummerSlam as champion, then you got to f- figure out all right, who's who's the the new contender. It, it, it can't be Nakamura. He can't beat AJ Styles. Rusev might lose at Extreme Rules. Uh, who else on SmackDown? With The Miz, uh, Randy Orton, John Cena. Who, who am I missing? That's how I like. Now, who does AJ get at SummerSlam if he gets past Rusev at Extreme Rules? Uh, like we said, Nakamura's already been done with. Miz, Miz and AJ is kind of an intriguing choice. I don't mm. see them going in that direction. Um, Andrade would be cool. Might be too soon for that. Yeah. Um, you know, Daniel Bryan, I could see working. I I, I think Team Hell No will be more than a one pay per view thing, more than a one off thing. But Daniel Bryan's an option too. Maybe. Um, but my thing is, sh- Grant, is, is, is how do you get there too? It, yeah. Not, well, not no. You know, actually, triple threat. I'll say this. Yeah. What were you gonna say? No, I'm saying like don't do a triple threat fatal four way. No, oh, like, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. How fucking dumb is it that we just had a an eight-man, or actually two of them, two eight-person, multi-person ladder matches mm-hmm. at the last pay-per-view? And it took all of one month for them to book another multi-man pay-per-view match, main event for a pay-per-view, literally, just one month. That's all it took, was for them took one month to book a multi-man pay-per-view main yeah. event. After we got the same exact match, no joke, go back to Extreme Rules 2017, we had a fatal five-way to determine who is facing Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship. Crazy. And we literally have, likely, the same exact match one year later. It's like, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate the four-ways. I, I mean, again, not that I hate fatal four-ways, but... We get three ways. We get four ways. We get six ways. We get five ways every fucking week with the women, with the men, with the tag teams. Oh, it's yeah, like yeah. I know they have a stacked roster. I get it. But you know what? So does NXT. People just can't make every single show. EC3 wasn't on the last takeover. They weren't going to put them in a four-way mm. with Laura Sullivan and Aleister Black just because they didn't have a match warm in the car. Like, tough shit. Better luck next time, buddy. Like, you can't do four ways and three ways every single show. Quite honestly, I'm pretty sure this is accurate. We've only had one match where it was a multi-man match for the NXT Championship, that being the Fatal 4-Way from about four years ago between Sami Zayn, Neville, Tyler, Breeze, and Tyson Kidd. In the six years that the NXT title's been a thing, beyond that match, we've never had a single 3-Way, 4-Way, 5-Way, 6-Way for the NXT Championship. Yeah. So, again, it really goes to show the difference in booking between the two brands, between NXT and the main roster. Uh, but I, and going back to my original question, though, going back to what I was saying earlier, uh, I completely forgot about Samoa Joe. I do think AJ and Joe would be a big okay. pro- yeah. high profile, a high-profile main event for the WWE title at SummerSlam. That's the direction that I would go in right. without doing another goddamn you know, six-person uh, ladder, six-way steel mm-hmm. cage match to determine it on an episode of SmackDown. Like, just do a beat the clock challenge or like, I don't know, something like that. Or just, you know, what a concept, picking up victories and actually yeah. building momentum. That's one way to, uh, you know, determine a number one contender without going through these ridiculous multi-man person matches that we get seemingly every single week. Yeah, or, or just build a feud, build up a yeah, exactly. rivalry. Like, what a come on, how, how lazy can you? Yeah. Anyway, man, um, I did forget something. 
Bailey heel turn, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, I forgot about that actually from yeah. Monday's Raw. I thought that was a cool highlight from the show. Um, it took all it took WWE all of one hour to kind of ruin any momentum they had with the angle by announcing that both women would be going to counseling <laughs> next week. It's like what what? It's like saying it's like having Stone Cold and Rock on the same page for a few months, them teasing tension, then going off on each other, and then saying you're going to go to counseling next week. What? Like and, yeah. I know they did the same thing with with Brian and Kane a few exactly. years ago, and it worked out because it was comedy. This shouldn't be comedy. This just scream. This just screams stupidity. So again, I thought it was great. It's funny that Bailey's been getting almost no reactions on recent shows. Yet when she finally goes heel, she gets one of the biggest reactions of her entire WWE career. Like right up there from when she debuted at the Barclays Center two years ago. So um, we'll see where it goes. But the counseling thing doesn't give me, you know, high hopes. Yeah. Did Did you find it kind of weird that while she was beating up Sasha, that the the, the announcers were more like, you know, kind of happy or kind of saying, yeah, this, this should have been done a long time ago. Yeah, 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 go go, go get her. At the post of being more, like, shocked because Bailey was, you know, the hugger and the, and, and the good girl and this and that. And now the announcers are, are, are egging her on like, yeah, it's about time. Go ahead and do it. As opposed to being, like, more shocked. How, like, how, how dare you, Bailey, do that to Sasha Banks? Yeah, the whole thing was just weird. I think it really is like a tweener turn for Bailey because, uh-huh. again, the commentators didn't react like it was a full-fledged heel turn. Neither did the crowd. Um, I think people just cheered not because they wanted to see Banks get beat up necessarily, but because they wanted to see something out of these two for like the longest time. It's been teased for like four months now. It was time for someone to do fucking something. So I'm glad they finally got you know cut to the chase. Mm-hmm. Seems like they're going to be backtracking a bit to try to get them on the same page by doing counseling next week. But if we're lucky, they won't even get to that point. Bailey will beat the crap out of her before then. But if they are going to turn Bailey into a heel and they are going to go full throttle with this thing, um, they really need to change up her appearance, her theme song. Because if they're really, if you don't want any confusion as to what she is—a baby face or an intense heel or whatever—you need to completely just have her go rogue, wear the hair down change up the gear, give her new music, yeah. new attitude, just change everything about the Bailey character because what was working before has not worked in a long time because of WWE's poor handling of her over the last two years. See, I did find the reaction to her from the commentators to be a bit confusing, but I would hope that they have some sort of follow-up to it starting next week. That's my hope anyway. It's amazing how like you have Sami Zayn and Bailey are, as now the heels, uh, even though Bailey is kind of tweener now, but and they have like good good people music, and I'm like, how can you be a heel and, and have people hate you or dislike you? And Sami Zayn music does does not sound like a bad guy's music. Bailey, she can't be on this heel turn, this upcoming heel turn with that same music and, and the balloons popping up and everything. Like, nah, we we, we got to change this shit up. Yeah, now got to get rid of the Bailey buddies and everything yeah. that kind of made Bailey the perennial the, the perennial babyface. With Sammy, I'm surprised because I know that song's been attached to him for like four years now. Mm-hmm. But you would think like, you know, like the the guy's a fucking you know the the, the song is like a feel good happy go lucky song. So why would you have him use the same song? I know he comes out flailing, flailing his arms up in the air and being all over the top and stuff, yeah. which works for his current character. But the song and stuff, people still chant like "Let's go!" Like they shouldn't be doing that for a for a heel. 
And he's a, still a natural baby face. He's a great heel. But, yeah, that always confused me as to why they never changed the music. And I'd be disappointed if they did the same thing with Bailey by not having her, you know, adopt new music to, uh, to reflect her new attitude. Yeah, I mean, if they can change Nakamura's music, they could change Sami Zayn and Bailey's. Exactly. That's exactly. Nakamura's music was so babyface, mm-hmm. but they changed it. Now people can't sing along with it anymore. Good. I thought that was amazing. Good. And the music's great, too. It's just a remix. It's not even a different song. It's right. the same song, but remixed. And that's tremendous because they can always go back to using that old song when they go back to being a face inevitably. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Well, Graham, before I get you out of here, we are taping this on June 28th. Got a couple anniversaries uh, to bring up to your attention before I let you go. Seven years CM Punk pipe bomb on Monday Night Raw. So a lot of people on Twitter talk about how great it was, how decent it was, how maybe overrated it 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 was. Um, but once he did that that promo, it kind of shook up the whole wrestling world because you couldn't tell whether he was, you know, breaking the lines of kayfabe and there's some truth to what he was saying and. Led to him winning the championship at Money in the Bank and the whole storyline about I'm going to leave leave with the title. Um, but the pipe bomb seven years ago on Raw, June 27th, that was yesterday. But um, are you more like it was great, fantastic, top three promo all time? It was, it was good. Or do you feel like there's some kind of overratedness to the promo? No, I think it's every bit as good as people remember it being. I don't think if it was that good, people would be still talking about it seven years later. I, I saw the same thing on my timeline today where it was everywhere. People were talking all about the promo, and it's not like it happened a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. It was right. seven years ago. And you don't see many things people talking about from 2011. Let's face it. You don't see people having throwback Thursdays from 2010 when, you know, like John Cena beat the Nexus. Like, no one cares about that stuff. <laughs> uh, maybe for, you know, like the bigger moments like this one. But it's really like, you know, what you and I talk about here in the show every once in a while. It's the Attitude Era stuff. It's like, oh, when Brett um, forced Stone Cold to pass out in the sharpshooter at WrestleMania. Or the night that DX debuted. Or the night that Hulk Hogan won heel. That's the stuff that people talk about 20 years later. Not the stuff that happened, you know, 5 to 10 years ago. Unless it's like the shield breaking up or something like that. But, no, this was a big moment. Um, WWE, I think, put it at number two of like their greatest Raw moments of all time as voted on by the fans earlier this year ahead of Raw 25, which I think we talked about here on the show. Um, But it deserves that top spot because it was a great moment. It was definitely different for the times because you never heard like Ring of Honor, Hulk Hogan's name, New Japan Pro Wrestling, anything like that being talked about on WWE TV. And it really did set in forth in motion the summer of punk and adopt, you know, give this, uh, you know, make punk the hottest star in all of wrestling for a solid few months that would kick off, you know, his final stretch of his run in WWE from 2011 to 2014, where he was like one of the best in the world. And he was one of the best in the world at that point in time. Um, but yeah, no, the promo's great. It's still worth watching, you know, seven years later. I can still recite it word for word. Seven years later, it shook Raw, shook the entire WWE to its very core at the time. And even all these years later, you can kind of see how much it truly changed with everyone that he mentioned in the promo being brought back eventually from Paul Heyman. He's like, oh, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. That became a thing. Brock Lesnar being brought back, bringing up the UFC, mm-hmm. all that stuff eventually came full circle in WWE, all thanks to CM Punk. So your favorite part of that promo was was what? 
would you say? Uh, he he did he did mention a lot, a lot of things the Paul Heyman the fourth wall and the microphone getting cut off and the whole McMahon stuff and he's not even on a souvenir cup he said a lot of shit <laughs> he said a lot of shit yeah yeah you're right he did say a lot of shit on um, the stuff towards the end it's like oh you know this company's gonna be taken over by um the doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family or whatever yeah. or his uh whatever uh, I forgot what the word the, the word was that he did use to describe Stephanie. Um, but that was pretty great. They got a big reaction from the audience. Um, the Yes Men douchebags, which was also censored out of the original broadcast. The ending, where he talked about the whole bully campaign, then he got cut off. That was great, too. Then the show just abruptly ended. That was awesome, too. And it's like, it was one of those moments like, where Raw never does that, where it just goes off without anything happening. Yeah. And that was perfect. Never happens. It made you think it was real. Like, there was a lot of people that thought it was real. So they had a lot of buzz coming out of that pay-per-view. You know, it's not like one of those dumb marketings like, oh, they don't know the difference between real and kayfabe. But no, like even the smart fans thought like, holy shit, what the fuck was that? And they put it out, that that um, report saying that Punk was suspended and the match was off and all this other stuff. It was pretty great. And the crowd reacted accordingly. So, yeah, the whole thing's a gem. And it's still worth watching and listening to all these years later. Always wondered why he was wearing a Stone Cold shirt, though. I think he did say after the fact, I do remember him talking about this either on his DVD or something along those lines mm. where he was just, he had a match earlier on in the night and I think he lost his shirt or something and he was looking for a shirt to wear because he had to go out there to interfere in the match between John Cena and R-Truth in the main event. So he found the first, he just grabbed the first shirt he can find and it was the Stone Cold shirt. I think Stone Cold was on Raw that night or a few weeks earlier, so they were kind of pushing the Stone Cold merch. Mm-hmm. I think they just came out with a new DVD form, and he was on Tough Enough, whatever. So Stone Cold was kind of heavily involved with WWE at that point. So they were selling his shirts pretty much every week at the shows. So he grabbed that and did not notice until after the fact. There was no correlation between like the Austin 316 promo, which also recently celebrated the an anniversary, mm-hmm. and his promo. That was really just done by... It was purely a coincidence, but it was a pretty cool uh, comparison nonetheless. I'm still amazed that you said our truth was in a main event. <laughs> Monday Night Raw <laughs> yeah, right. In 2011. Didn't he get sent to SmackDown a few months ago? We haven't seen him since. Wow. And you know what? We never did get those ice cream bars back, so. We didn't. That was the only thing from that promo that yeah. never came to fruition. We got CM Punk souvenir cups, we got CM Punk socks. We got CM Punk the movie. Uh-huh. We never got the ice cream bars, which never was a shame. Not to say that we bars. didn't try, because fans did, but we never never was able to get that happen, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And the last anniversary to date marks 20 years, Graham, since the 1998 King of the Ring. Um, a pay-per-view that is mostly remembered by the Hell in a Cell match between The Undertaker and Mankind, and Mankind getting thrown off the top of the cell, and then going through the cell and um, a 17-minute match that is uh, highly regarded as the greatest Hell in a Cell match, if not number two. That's a different topic for a different date. But let's go down the card real quick. I don't remember a majority of this. I only remember that that, that Hell in a Cell match and the Stone Cold main event, but we'll get to it. Um, For those who haven't seen the 1998 King of the Ring um, as I said, it, pro- it possibly has the greatest Hell in a Cell match on that card. Um, and I think a very underrated championship match between Kane and Stone Cold. So go, uh, go ahead, check it out. On the network, we had the Headbangers and, oh my God, the Headbangers and Taka Michinoku against 
Kayentai. Six-man tag. <laughs> Six-man tag. Grand, I don't even ask me what the hell happened. We had that <laughs> match. Ken Shamrock defeated Jeff Jarrett in the King of the Ring semifinal. The Rock defeated Dan Severn in the King of the Ring semifinal. Uh, this team called Too Much with Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor defeated Al Snow and Head. Uh, and Jerry Lawler was a special guest referee. X-Pac defeated Owen Hart. The New Age Outlaws defeated the New Midnight Express uh, for the tag team titles. Ken Shamrock defeated The Rock by submission in the King of the Ring final. Hold on, so Ken Shamrock was King of the Ring 98? Holy shit. You would never guess. Yeah, I completely forgot I about totally that. I totally forgot about that. Ken Shamrock, King of the Ring. Wow. Uh, Undertaker defeated Mankind, Hell in a Cell. Then we had Kane defeated Stone Cold for the WWE title. If Kane had lost, he would have set himself on fire in a first blood match. Uh, 16 minutes. So all I remember are the last two matches. Graham, one, have you seen this pay-per-view? And two, um, what did you make of it 20 years later? Yeah, I did see the pay-per-view a few years ago in its entirety, but I think a lot of people can say they have seen Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Kane. And, of course, the main event between Undertaker and Mankind. It's pretty crazy because we talk about that match every year, yeah. not even every year in the anniversary, but just in general crazy to think it's been 20 years and i would hope that wwe would do something to commemorate the occasion um today or this week i don't know it just seems like it's such one of the, the most iconic matches in wwe history and it's been two decades since then which is insane wow and then kane winning the championship only the drop of the next night was pretty memorable as well mm -hmm. but uh yeah, i mean again the undercard a lot like most added to their pay-per-views was not lighting the world on fire but the top two main events carried the show and again are remembered more than 90% of the pay-per-view matches we get in 2017, 18, whatever. So, um, yeah, I think it served its purpose in kind of making history for the next 20 years. So, real quick, I ask you, is that is that Hell to Cell match between Taker and Mankind the greatest Hell to Cell match of all time or the top two, top three? How do you rank that match? It's such a subjective thing just because as a match, it's not that good. Um, yeah. But the fall itself is iconic. The falls, I should say, the plural falls, because the one through the cage was great and the one through the off the cell was great. It really wasn't much of a match. It was more of like an angle. Um, it was a yeah. storytelling masterpiece to an extent. Not really much of a match. Um, I, if I gunned ahead greatest Hell in a Cell match ever, I probably would say Sean and Taker won. And we talked about it back in October when we um, mm -hmm. when we did a show talking about the 20-year anniversary of the first ever Hell in a Cell match. Right. And I maintain then what I well, I maintain now what I said then that that is the greatest Cell match ever because it's the original, led to the debut of Kane. The match itself was fantastic between Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. So this is up there. If you said this was top three, I would not argue with you. I would put it up there. I would put it up there with this, the original. And there's been a lot of good ones. Um, Batiste and Triple H had a, a great one. Um, Shawn Michaels and Triple H had a great one. Mm -hmm. There's There's been a lot of good ones. Brock Lesnar and Taker had a great one, too, back in 03. But I would put these up there as the top two greatest Hell in a Cell matches of all time. Yeah, there was also that, um, that six-man Armageddon joint with a Kurt Angle and... 
Yeah, that, that was fun. Again, kind of more of a train wreck than anything, but it was still yeah. one of the more memorable ones, yeah. And even uh, the one from 28, WrestleMania 28, Triple H and Takeaway was uh, pretty good. That was one of my personal favorites. I don't know if most people would agree it was amazing because it wasn't from an in-ring standpoint, but from a storytelling standpoint with Shawn Michaels as the special guest referee, I thought might have been the best Hell in the Cell match of the current like PG era, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, until the one that we got last year between Usos and New Day, which was tremendous. Like one of the best Cell matches I've ever seen. That was mm-hmm. great, though. So those are all up there on my list. Yeah, I think for me it'll it'll be Sean Taker, Taker Mankind. Like you know, today's marquee crowd. If you took this Taker Mankind match, Hell in a Cell, the same match in today's wrestling time, and Sean Taker in, in today's wrestling time, which match do you think this marquee crowd would like enjoy more? Would it be the more of the moments with Taker and Mankind, or the more of the appreciation of the match? between Sean and Taker? Honestly, Sean and Taker, because with Mankind and um, Undertaker, that same spot they did where Mankind fell off the top of the cell, we literally saw almost the exact same thing with Shane the last two years, with him against Taker Mm -hmm. and then with him against Kevin Owens, where Shane jumped off the top and came up empty both times. So it's like, and it was remembered as a great moment, but the matches themselves really weren't that good. And there was a lot of dull points in that cell match with Mankind and Taker where they were just killing time. Today's crowd would be too busy chanting for CM Punk or Boring or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I would have to go with or NXT. I would have to go with Taker Sean because it is a better match in the ring by far. And it had a great moment with Kane's debut. So I would definitely have to go with the uh, Sean Taker match, kind of living up to expectations in the modern age. It's amazing how we talk about a pay per view time period 20 years ago with Kane and he's still relevant on today's Smackdown <laughs> yeah he, he, now he's the top star closing that Smackdown in 2018 that's the, that's the current WWE product for you one more run for Kane one more one more match oh god didn't we say that five years ago good god yeah him for him for him and Big Show too yeah you know what Big Show isn't as big of a problem because then whenever he shows up he's I mean Kane's putting people over too but with Big Show, he really has not been a focal point on the show in, like, years. Like, he was contending for the world title, like, five years ago, which was kind of an issue. But mm-hmm. since the authority shit ended, he really has not been on TV much in, like, 2016, 2017, especially this year. He hasn't wrestled a single match since he lost to Braun Strowman, like, the Labor Day edition of Raw, So, which is great. So good for him, but, you know, Kane's more of a problem. The Braun feud sucked, but I'm hoping team, uh, the Team Hell No reunion is a lot better. Yeah, I think I think what gets people still mad today is the, the fact that Kane has a clean win over Finn Balor. <laughs> that he never avenged either, which is oh, worse. Yeah, just whatever. Um, but yeah, um, Graham, always appreciate you coming on. I know we had the, a lot of ground to cover, pretty much a week and a half, two weeks of content. Uh, but always great talking with you about Raw SmackDown, the anniversaries. You can follow the show on, on SoundCloud and iTunes, soundcloud.com slash cruise control podcast. Go ahead and download, comment, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff on iTunes. You can follow Graham on Twitter at WrestleRant. He's from Bleacher Report and the host of WrestleRant Radio. You can follow me on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R-A-N-D-Y. 
the letter J C R U Z, and also follow our, our third man Mark Remondi on Twitter at Mark underscore Remondi from MMAfighting.com. Give us a shout on Twitter. Give us some great feedback. Graham, always appreciated, my man. Thanks, Randy. Always enjoy being here on the show. Next week, we will be officially in the second half of 2018, which blows my mind. Wow, but looking ready. forward to breaking down all the latest in the world of wrestling with you, brother, next week. All right, man. Take it easy. All right. Adios, Randy. All right.